0: Welcome to Call of the Pen, episode three, and uh, we want to start this off by asking Steve how, Emmy's golf tournament. went. Were you a good caddy or what? Uh,
1: good caddy? Uh, that's questionable. Um, but uh, we had a, we had a good time for sure. She she held her own. You know she's never you know played a actual round against people before, so she's trying to pretend like she wasn't nervous. But I was, it was good. It's like if you're not nervous, then you know you don't care. So <laughs> she did. She you held her own. She did a good time no i was I was excited. It was also 150 degrees out here it was It was tough, um, but it six it was only six holes you know so she oh, shot like nice. a 43 her double max par so she 48 would have been her highest, but she came in sixth place out of eleven kids and second amongst the girls so I was, I was happy for her. It was good.
0: That's awesome. yeah, sick. I saw the picture of I mean, you definitely look like the minivan dad driving the kids of the golf course with the <laughs> bucket hat and the probably the sunscreen on the nose
1: oh yeah totally
0: (laughs) sunscreen (laughs) on the nose
1: if i if i if i would totally rock a minivan but you know you know what i drive you could i had to give you a step stool to step into my truck
0: you did yeah (laughs) i would definitely need that now with my foot
1: i gotta see if we can take up a picture of that i still have it somewhere
0: well i think i still have that picture we'll have to get that that was that, that was hilarious pulling up to your house to borrow your truck and there's a nice little little kid's baby step stool to get into your truck. That was <laughs> Minnie Mouse step stool. Typical, for... <laughs> typical Steve.
1: That <laughs> thing so sat out see, there for like a week. Uh, you went to the game last night. I did. I did. Big Pan- Big uh, Panthers fan now. Just started.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how I was when the Knights came. 18, I was like, oh, I'm huge, huge hockey fan now. Huge hockey fan now.
1: <laughs> now they've. I I no idea about hockey, but them.
0: now it's great for the city. Oh, totally.
1: And their first year they made it to the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, that's that's one reason to to root for them. I mean, you just they just caught fire right away. But I've been going to the Panthers games for the last, I don't know, since 2014. They used to hook us up when I was with the Marlins and I didn't have strong roots with the Bruins, you know, being from New England, so I had to like dump one team out of the Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, you know, and uh, and obviously Red Sox, I don't care about them anymore, but uh it had to be, it had to be the Bruins because uh, the, the Panthers just hooked us up all the time. So, tell me about that chain behind you. Yeah, so we brought, uh, brought the girls to their first game back in November, and uh, I told the girls, "Hey, get whatever you want in the team store." You know, Dad's getting it. I want wanted to be special for them, and so Avery, without a hesitation, walked, saw the chain, walked right over. He's like, "I want this." So she just came out with a flavor-flave chain, <laughs> just <to laughs> walked around the stadium, and it was beautiful.
0: If our team's making it to the Stanley Cup, we're going to have to come up with some bet well one one of us have to fly out to each other's city and go watch the game
1: yeah I would maybe the maybe the viewers have an idea of what yeah, we can maybe do viewers. keep we typically play golf against each other, but this guy has a broken ankle, so <laughs> I'd be at a distinct <laughs> advantage
0: we get, we'll I did get cleared to walk I got cleared to walk in a boot yesterday though, so we're making progress.
1: there we go, so you can hold I could probably you beat there. you with one leg. <laughs> a couple of years ago probably. I don't know. Actually you're you're a oh, sneaky yeah, good you're athlete. A no, no. I I still still struggle. I'm I'm coming back to reality. But uh you're a sneaky good athlete. I, th- I think you could hold your own.
0: Best athlete you've ever seen. What are you talking about? Eh.
1: Debatable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. All right, so let's start this off. So we had a few questions. Or I want to ask you a few questions. You, so you lived in Massachusetts, right? Yep. And then, uh, how did you meet Cressy, by the way? Eric Cressy, if anyone doesn't know, is probably the top baseball trainer in the world. But yeah. uh, Steve's known him since he was straggly. Uh, t- t- uh,
1: 2009. How
0: did you meet Cressy? <laughs> and still straggly. Tell me all that.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I was, I was... Uh, Training on my own, basically doing the Marlins workout. And back then, they just kind of, you know, they were, they're okay. But I don't, I didn't feel like they were taking me to where I needed to be, the next level. And there wasn't yeah. up in Massachusetts, baseball isn't a huge sport. Actually, hockey is. And so, um, there wasn't many gyms around, uh, that had trainers that, you know, had a baseball background. And my college coach actually listened and read a lot of Cressy stuff down in Tennessee. And he's like, hey, you need to, you know, check out this Cressy guy. I don't know where he is. I know he's in Massachusetts somewhere. So I looked it up and it's like an hour and a half away. And I was like, man, I don't know. Um, so I started doing my own digging and I was like, you know what, like maybe I'll go over there and see what this assessment stuff's all about. I mean, this is like revolutionary back then, right? Getting an assessment, a program, personalized program. And, um, I'll go check it out. So I showed up in like, I don't know, and one shorts and, you know, beat up t-shirt, not thinking I was going to do anything. And I walked out of there like barely able to walk, <laughs> like I was so sore. Like I didn't know I was gonna be working out that day or what it was entailing. And uh yeah, that's what he back. does.
0: He did that to me. First time I met him, I fly to Florida. I'm like, oh, I'll just go, we're gonna get assessed. I'll probably work out tomorrow. Just crushed me that day.
1: Yeah, and you know what's crazy, dude, is like the year before I was lifting as heavy as my lanky body would allow me to, like terrible form, like putting up as much weight as I could. And I, I show up at that place and he 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 watches your movement and stuff like that, and realizes that I'm a not a great athlete when it comes to squats yeah, and everything. He you, and
0: he makes you feel bad real fast. Yeah.
1: So he's like, all right, well, we're gonna put less weight on here, and I want you to you know squat down to this with his forearm, knees out. And I'll put your chin up, keep your chin tucked, like all this stuff. And next thing I know, I'm like grinding, doing half the weight, you know, because I'm actually doing it the correct way. I'm like, oh, maybe we're right. onto something here. So it was just working areas of my body at the time that I never even considered.
0: So one thing we, I always like, you had to drive an hour and a half. Like, we could barely get people to drive twenty minutes to go. We're like, oh, it's too far. We're too busy. What I mean, how and why did you think you're going to drive three hours at three, four times a week? And at what point did you realize, like, besides the the assessment that okay, I'm I'm going to do this, I'm all in, and then you probably had to do it all year, every year until you went to you moved, to, he moved to Florida, and then you moved to Florida. Yeah, but why did you decide like this is it? Um
1: well I I I wanted to invest in my career. I didn't I realized this is probably you know it's a rare opportunity to be able to pitch in even in the minor leagues and I wanted to invest in my career so and give myself the best chance to make it to the big leagues. And I knew after going to this place and you know his you know resume basically is he's the you know he basically revolutionized you know baseball specific training and so when I went and saw what was going on over there, I wanted to be a part of it and I wanted to get better and I wanted to get stronger. And so I realized that it was just a commitment that I was going to have to make um, driving an hour and a half down and then an hour and a half back. So three hours of travel was no big deal when I was motivated to um, you know, have an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues and um, and be at the best place to do it. The other thing (laughs) which made it a little bit easier is up in Massachusetts. I mean, a lot of times we're either snowed in or it's freezing cold. Can't really throw outside. Um, There's always someone to throw with indoors up there. Um, And if there wasn't, we just wear it and just throw outside in the parking lot. But um, all my buddies were out of college, not playing baseball anymore and having real jobs. So it's either I sit around and play video games and waste my time or I can get after it. So for me, it was an easy commitment to drive out there um, that, you know, down to Hudson, Massachusetts, and back three to four times a week.
0: And you weren't a bonus, baby, so it's not cheap. The gas ain't cheap, which we all know. I mean, especially at that time of the of 2009, I think the country's falling apart anyways. But uh, <laughs> I think we were both broken, definitely broken our times in our lives. So not only are you paying for fees, because Cressy's not cheap, so obviously you're investing in yourself, and then you're paying for the gas. So, I mean, it's like a lesson in life anyway. It's just people need to realize just stop trying to get rich so fast Just invest into yourself you pay get a little sacrifice it's going to cost some money but if you put the time in i mean not everyone's going to make 40 something million dollars but obviously your little your your investment into yourself paid off don't you i mean i, I think some people just need to realize that in life like just you're not always going to get the results so fast but if you just keep in investing in the long run i mean you never know what's going to happen but you definitely know what's going to happen if you don't invest in yourself
1: yep yeah exactly if if you're not putting in the work and you just, you're just not giving yourself opportunity there's very few people and i'm sure you've seen it that barely <laughs> do any work and they're you know pitching in the big leagues those guys are just like naturally just a gift from god you know they just have it the rest of us have to put in the work to do it you know yeah, I, I throw sidearm or throw with deception, but I didn't always throw hard. It wasn't until college that I started throwing hard because I was pushed to the max like every single day. And I strongly believe that's what um, got me my velocity and, you know, it was able to take me to the next level.
0: And then you went to a D2, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. And you were a Juco.
0: So, and I was a Juco. So, I think, well, what do you think? What's the misperception on people not always wanting to go to Juco. Like I have my own opinion and I'll wait for you to answer on Juco D2, D1. Why does everyone think they got to go D1? And what what's wrong with people taking the D2 route? I mean, a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent in there, but a lot of them always think they need to go D1 or the guys in Juco and D2 get missed out on. Mm-hmm. Like what is it, when you went to D2, did you have any D1 offers, first of all?
1: Not really. Um, University of Vermont was interested. And then the next year, their baseball program... <laughs> um, was shut down.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. a Solid offer then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Boston college was, was like, oh, maybe, but you have to go to, um, prep school. I'm like, I ain't doing that. I, you know, so I was just so underdeveloped, but that leads into the answer I have for you. I, well, first of all, I think that, um, there's a whole re- list of reasons why I think kids think they need to go do one. Mostly their parents. You know, they want to look good. Their kid goes to Florida State, you know, and they can brag about it. Um, Other things are unrealistic expectations, right? Like, yeah, you may be able to make it to a massive, you know, D1 school, um, but you're not going to get the playing time because they just recruited, you know, 10 other kids also that you're going to be competing with. So not necessarily – so for me, like, I just wanted to go down south. Being in Massachusetts, we played 20-game, like, high school seasons, dude. Like, it was ridiculous. But that's, that's what we got. It's cold. And so I wanted to go down south um, because I wanted to be able to play pretty much year round baseball. I loved it and hopefully get a scholarship to help uh, pay my way through. And so, when, um, let's long story short, when Carson Newman came up, um, you know, school down south, check the box, liberal arts school, I was going to be a PE teacher. You know, that was my degree. <laughs> <I see P. laughs> you imagine? And then I my bucket hat. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: I could totally see that with the whistle.
1: Yeah. And I knew, I felt like I was. At the like a 2 level out of high school, I felt like I could compete at that level. D1, I wasn't really sure. I threw like 84 miles an hour tops, M- maybe, you know, on a good day. So, I mean, I was just looking for a place that I knew I could probably play and get better and also get my education. And so, D2 was my route. What about you?
0: Yeah, that's what I think. Well, that's my opinion on the whole thing. I always think people ask, well, what do you think I should do? Should I go play here or do I need to go to this university I, or independent? Well, let's just say independent ball or whatever. I just think, as long as you just have a chance to keep playing to improve, it doesn't matter at that age. I mean, if you're not a first rounder or a huge top prospect, you need to go play somewhere. Yep. So, or at least keep getting better. So, I think for me, like I went to Pasadena City College, where at the time no one knew it's. It was just a small junior college in, in California, but you played against really good teams in LA and like Southern California, but I had a chance to pitch every week. I wasn't going to get that if I would have went to USC or anything. So at least I had a chance to consistently improve where it just, I, I could at least catch up to everyone. I can get strong. I probably wasn't strong. I think I weighed a buck 45, a buck 50 at the time. And I threw like 88 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But by the time I left there, I was throwing, I don't know, 93, 94, and then I had an opportunity to go to USC, but then I transferred to Dixie State, which is another junior college in Utah, huh. which they gave scholarships. That helped, obviously. And then. Um, and that's a
1: really good baseball school, isn't it?
0: Or yeah, a baseball we program. The, it was a, at the time, they were a JUCO. Now they're a D1 now. They've, they've grown a lot. Oh, wow. But uh, at the time, there was a top JUCO in the country. And we got and once again you're going there playing top talent and I consistently get to improve and people get to see me. Long as you get to like I always say long, if you're good they'll find you. I think I mean, look at us we weren't top. I mean I was a 40th round draft pick. What round were you? A fifth. Oh my bad. <laughs> Either way okay yeah. I was a 40th round. But if you're good they'll find you. They right. found you at a small D two and wherever and you got going the fifth round and you played. 10-plus years in the big leagues. Like, yeah. what a great scout that was.
1: <laughs> no, for sure. Um, and I, I, I say fifth and laugh because, like, A, I, I wasn't expecting to get drafted. I, like I said, I was just looking for a place to play, and then all of a sudden things take off. Um, and, dude, you're so right. Like, if if you're good enough, it doesn't matter where you're playing, they're going to find you. And I think, you know, some of the smaller schools get a knock. You're still, like, D2, Juco, you're, you're playing at a really good, like, high level still. You know what I mean? Like, I mean. Extremely. I mean, But the year before I got to Carson Newman, and I know this is probably a fluke, they beat University of Tennessee, who was like sixth in the nation, and um, you know,
0: fluke a win's a win. Come on, man, (laughs) that's
1: true. And so, I mean, it's not like you're playing coach pitch because it's a D two or D three school or something. You know, it's it's still great competition, but it's giving you more of an opportunity, like you said, to compete and get better. Because unless you're competing, there's just no way you can get better at your craft. You know, so might as well no. You know, be able to get out there every day. So,
0: and I think more, it's a status thing now. Like you said, like my parent Johnny's dad wants to say that his kid goes to it's USC or something. Yeah. And then, but but you're gonna go there and you're not gonna play if they're, they're gonna bring ten just like you, and they're bringing another twenty that's even better than you. Yep. And it's just more like a status of oh, I'm on the prospect list. Like the prospect list means nothing.
1: Yep. Yep. And then,
0: especially like in the minor leagues, I never cracked any prospect list.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't think I did either. Honestly, I was just coasting through. That's <laughs> crazy.
0: Dude. But when I saw you in AAA, I'm like, who is this guy and why is he here?
1: <laughs> I started finally getting a feel for, I was so raw though. When I first got drafted, I had no slider. I, I, I honestly, I threw sinker changeup. up. That's it. And got away with it. in um, in short season a ball, which no longer exists. It's such a bummer. And then uh, the next year I played in Greensboro. Have you ever played there? No. Awesome ballpark, but it is like a wiffle ball field, dude. It is tiny. And so um, I got humbled fast. Like I tried to learn a slider there, didn't have it. And, oh, it's weird. Like all these guys at low A can hit a fastball just fine. So they just teed (laughs) off on me. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I got destroyed that year. I failed miserably multiple times. And that off season, I went in with a goal in mind, like not, you know, give myself the best opportunity to not let that happen again. And so worked on a slider, learned a uh, slider grip uh, in instructs after that season because I was so bad. And that was the slider I used for the rest of my career, the spike slider. So it was awesome. I love really? it. You threw
0: a spike slider from that angle?
1: Yeah. Yep. Dig my the pad wow. of my finger in you know, around the horseshoe and just let it rip. Had four seam spin on wow, it when it was good.
0: tough to do. Uh, did, did, was there ever was there ever a t- when you got to the big leagues was there ever a time where you just a guy just turned on something or hit, let's say hit your slider and you're like that doesn't happen at any other level and and you had to adjust
1: hmm. um well yeah hanging sliders <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> other than that like there's there's uh, yes because when I first got called up I was a sinker in slider away only pitcher that was it and so um I think it was john buck and logan morrison uh talked to them after a live vp one day they we were like let look it's working now or look it's working now but you know guys are gonna make an adjustment on it and it's gonna get hit so what we should do is learn a backdoor slider and i want you to throw four seams up and into lefties every now and again and so uh we worked on that all spring of 2012 and that being my bread and butter man lefties i started backdoor um like, pretty much all the time, because uh, I always could st- uh, steal a free strike if I land it. And then after that, I could kind of do whatever I wanted. I can mix and match everywhere. So, and as your career goes on, you know, like you just constantly have to make adjustments because uh, your stuff will get hit yeah. around a little. So, what about you? What was your pitch that you're like, ah, got to, got
0: to, oh all man. It up. For 2010, like, I gave one run in like 25 innings of double A, like, absolutely dominating. Mm-hmm. And it was just mostly just sinkers like just dominating everyone with my sinker. It was like both sides of the plate, 95, 96. I don't know how I was throwing this hard. Like it came out of nowhere. And then I got the A and I dominated. And then my third outing, we're in San Francisco. And Pat Burrow's up. And I threw it, I think it was like 93, sinker in off the plate, which I thought it was in off the plate. And he just launched it. And I mean launched it in the, in the seats. And I'm like... No one has ever just turned. I mean, normally you hit a foul. Like, one, how do you keep it fair? And you just turned on. Because back then, 93, 94 was extremely hard. Yeah, it was gas. It was firm. Yep. So then I was just like, I, my, I was mind-blowing. I just learned that when you think, at that time, you, there is no strike to strike in the big leagues. It was make it look like kind of a strike, but it has to end up ball. So I just started to learn. I just right away from there against righties because, man that made me feel bad. It wasn't, especially in San Francisco one, you're warming up. They're already yelling at you, making those. Whoop, yeah. Whoo, yeah. Like I'm already rattled. The, the he's a bum <laughs> chant.
1: What's the deal with cancer? Yeah. He's a bum.
0: <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And then they want me to, told me to like, what stop throwing from my knees. Cause I was so short. So they're making fun of how short I was. And, <laughs> I was, it was just a mess. And then I gave up a bomb. Like, I come in, face Posey, hits a double off the right center wall, and then Pat Burrell hits a bomb. It was just everything was moving so fast. Oh,
1: man, that place will expose you so fast. Like, the, it, it got so loud there during that those that time period when they were, like, really good. Yeah. It was just – and they were, it's so almost loud. like because the stadium's so tall, they're, like, sitting right on top of you, too. So when they get some momentum rolling, you can just feel the energy. You're like, uh-oh. Like We got we to gotta find a way to silence this.
0: Especially when you're warming up like in the middle of an inning trying to hurry, warm up fast. And it's on the field and you're like, you know, you're really, don't, you're scared. Of th- it's always the first throw where you don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> you're throwing the ground throwing all the way under so the field. True. So I always just like lollipop-ed it. Yep, me
1: too. My first one, I, I gave myself one lollipop throw. I don't know if you remember seeing me warming up. I just toss it in. And after that, no more yip throws. That's it. You're just going to let it fly. Whatever happens. Oh, you can be soft I hated for that one throw. That
0: and Wrigley too. But- yeah. Those were tough fields to warm up on, and but San Francisco was it was they were the whole. I mean, that whole side of the stadium would be into talking crap to you while you're trying to warm up.
1: Uh, yeah, I will say this though: in places like that, like I loved pitching in the most hostile environments. It was the best because, and especially, yes. you could relate to this as a closer. I always liked it more on the road when you'd close out a game, and they're just in your face. It sounds like like the place is just coming down. Here. All of a sudden, you can hear a pin drop like their team just yeah, you, crickets just, you guys just shut them down and it's like let's go <laughs> was, oh man it gives me it gives me goosebumps thinking about that yep
0: those are those are the moments i miss some things you miss mm-hmm. but like warm coming into hostile environments coming on the road like closing in on a road or a tie game on the road bo- tie game on the road to the bottom of the ninth is tough like that is a tough situation oh yeah
1: yeah well hey that We've talked you, about uh, you don't
0: have like if you're closing and you give up a solo shot, okay, we're tied. But man, if you give oh dude, when you're coming in tied on the road and you give one little mistake, oh gosh, The whole
1: world's That's coming worst down
0: here. Walk offs are the worst. You just want to go cry and just, <laughs> no one cares.
1: <laughs> and just do
0: not look at social media for a day.
1: <laughs> Only
0: oh, man. thank God. That's one thing how I survived. I think. I did not have a Twitter or a social media for all those years. Like, I did not want to be on there. Yeah. Especially when I got traded at the Cubs. Like, oh, man, that was the worst. Yeah. I gave up so many walk-offs.
1: I don't remember that. I don't remember you giving up walk-offs.
0: Oh, I, Adam Frazier in Pittsburgh, walk-off, 3-0, three, swings 3-0, we go middle end, heater, walk-off. And that was when we were in, the, in a big hunt. <laughs> And then the next year, they walked me off again in Pittsburgh. I threw a 3-2 changeup to, I don't know, the 30th guy on the bench. I don't know why. I think it was – I just came off to and I had no feel for anything. Any tattoo? I remember talking to Theo at the end of the year, and he's like, I got to ask a question. He's like, I was like, what's up? Why would you throw a 3-2 changeup in Pittsburgh in that safe situation? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's why we weren't invited back to the Cubs. Decisions like that. That's why I didn't come back, but – Walked in the winning run to lose a game in the playoff race.
1: (laughs) But apart from that, I think it's important. So, I mean, I think everything we just talked about with, like, work ethic, you know, picking and choosing what school. For young guys, this is what I wanted this episode to kind of focus on. Um, I I wanted to piggyback off some of your experience. Like, you know, you played parts of, what, 12 seasons in the show? Yeah. how, How... what what was it that you did day in and day out that allowed you to be uh consistent on the mountain? I think it, it's just we could talk about this for days and we'll probably talk about this down the road, but I want to hear right now some of your thoughts on that.
0: Well, my first when I first got called up, Trevor Hoffman was there. So I was told oh, yeah. Eddie Gordado, I grew from when I was a kid, he always told me to like watch the older guys when you get up there, see what they do. So I was just I wanted. To, I watched Trevor Hoffman. I was there for like a, it was like I got September call. so I got to watch Trevor Hoffman for his last month in the big leagues, and this guy's routine was like amazing. Mm. Like he was still like he was still even though he knew he probably wasn't going to pitch anymore because my first day in the big leagues he got a 600 save. And I was like, oh my god, the big leagues are amazing. Every day is like this. It's a party. <laughs> and then, but he still like he had a – his routine was so amazing. Like, we we had to run two miles. Every one, you had to take your shirt off. If you run with Trevor Hoffman, everyone has to run with their shirt off. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it didn't matter how cold it was either. But, it, like, he was, he'd show up, he'd go out, he'd do his running, and then he would do his throwing, and then he'd do the hot and cold tubs. And he would preach how hot and cold tubs is what saved him. He saved him for his whole career, and he did it every day. And then he would go do his massage. And he would come out in the fifth or sixth inning, and then he would stretch more. And he was like constant preparing for this outing that he did. Like
1: They would potentially day, pitch. Every day. He didn't even know if he's going in. He's
0: doing it anyways. Right. Yep. And he even got to the point he knew he wasn't going to pitch anymore because he got 600, and he basically said, I'm done. And Axford was taking over the job anyways. But he still, just to show to be a great teammate and, not, and show the, the young kids what to do, he still did it every day. That's awesome. No matter what. Mm-hmm. So – I think it took me, it probably took me three or four years cause to find out. Because, you know, when you're young, you think I'm just going to show up. I'll roll on a foam roller for a second. I'll go out there and do our eyewash stretch and run yeah. and play catch. You know, get ready for a big league game. And I'll throw hard. <laughs> but I think as injuries started to happen, and one injuries really made me realize I need to prepare better. And I need to take – I need to – don't be scared to go in the training room because, you know, when you're young, you never want to go in the training room. They're going to run you out of there real fast.
1: Yep. I had this conversation yesterday. And then, um, what's I had that? this conversation yesterday. My first four and a half years, oh, I was telling yeah. a, a younger guy with a Marlins. I'm like, I didn't step foot in there. The veterans would either kick me out or the training staff was like, what, your arm's sore? Beat it. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, like – and my elbow was fractured and, uh, and no one really knew it. They just thought it was tricep tendinitis, and I was just getting – ran out of there left and right. Yeah. And I'm just like, and then next thing you know, I have a screw put in my elbow three months later. Wow. So I, I kind of learned like someone says they're hurt. They're probably hurt. Right. Like, yeah. But anyways, so I remember 2013, I gave up a three run bomb. We were in Washington on 4th of July. And I just kind of knew I did not prepare well that day. I just knew I, I let the team down and I just, I was so, I just was so mad. So from that day on, I told myself I will never be not prepared for a game or an outing, no matter what, I'll never be caught off guard. Mm -hmm. So I think from that, from there, I just started to stay prepared. Like I was diligent on my preparation when I showed up to the field or when I woke up, like I was, you know, everything leads up to that outing. Like I said, Trevor Hoffman did. So when I woke up, what I ate that morning and. Whatever I did before I went to the went to the field, like I was just slowly preparing for that moment. And when I got to the field, I knew exactly what to go do to put, to get my body ready. And then mentally, I think if you're slowly preparing all day, every day, you're, mentally you're just now when you, the game starts. Now you just do what you've been preparing for all day, right? Like there is no thinking. I just go react. Yeah, let it happen. Yep. I think. I think so – and then when I uh, – I had another injury in 14, so I had to – now my preparation has to get even longer. Now I got to learn – because I had to learn about my ankles and my feet because my knee tore. So now – I mean, it got to the point where, you know, t- you saw – it would take me an hour and a half to go into the weight room and do everything just to go out for me and you to just go play more fetch than catch. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what it took, and I had a ton of success when I did it because I think – mentally i I felt better i didn't feel unprepared for each outing and if i didn't do it i learned i didn't mean i didn't feel anxiety because you know sometimes when you're young if you you, you're on a scoreless streak i gotta do this today i gotta do this because that's working like i can't leave that out and the anxiety would build up and i started (laughs) to get i started i didn't rely on that as much i think if i didn't if they caught if they caught me off guard it's okay because i prepared all day for the situation anyways Mm -hmm. yep well, I think what helped me back a little bit, I just couldn't stay healthy. I did what I could. I I got as much as I could out of my body, but unfortunately, like some surgeries just cost me some time. I really wish that I knew when I was younger how to take care of myself better, because I took uh, my 32 to 36 years were so much better than my 26 to 31. Yeah, you know? it's wild. Yep. Yeah, <clears throat> I wonder what like. Th- but for you, you pitched over 700 games, which is wild. How did you think you stayed so consistent in – healthy i mean honestly it's a
1: pretty similar story like i started developing some sort of routine in the minor leagues um but it wasn't very extensive and especially before i went to Cressy's, like i had no idea how to properly warm up um i just do like boxer jumps and stuff and <laughs> that I learned yeah. from like p90x <laughs> remember that thing <laughs> <The> dvd videos <laughs> and, like oh man this gets my blood flowing Those after i drink a red That's bull so cheap.
0: so many people do that yeah
1: um but uh, when i first got called up same thing man like I didn't have Trevor Hoffman necessarily, but we had this guy, um, Brian Sanchez, just a, no one really heard of him, probably reliever. And he was super solid. His, his stuff didn't overwhelm you. He just had solid stuff and he always got the job done. And he was always prepared. And so I'd watch him like a hawk, like my first year in 2011 guys thought it was a mute because I didn't say a word. I just watched, I just wanted to learn, you know what I mean? I was, I never had spring training, like a big league spring training prior to that. And so I'm watching these guys and I'm watching what they do every day, like fifth, fourth, fifth inning rolls around and they're getting up, moving around. I'm still sitting in my chair, like watching them. like, Oh, maybe I should do something, you know? Drinking and so, a Red yeah, Bull. Drinking s- all the Red sipping Bull. a Red Bull. <laughs> and, um, next thing I know, like, you know, I'm, I was, I got into a really good role, but I was, it was just, you know, by fate, you know, I just didn't really have any work ethic in terms of my preparation. I started getting hit around. And so, my pitching coach, I think Ryan uh, Zimmerman, hit a ball oppo off the wall on me. And my pitching coach, was like, you don't ever watch video, do you? I'm like, no. He goes, where you threw the ball is his just nitro zone. You cannot go there. Like, for now on, I want you to watch guys that throw like you and how they attack uh, hitters. So, if you come find me, I'll show you how to do it. So, step one, like, all right. So, they showed me, like, I was watching Sergio Romo, I was watching Pat neshek like, all these other guys, uh, O'Day. I mean, and Joe Smith. Those are like my main guys. Right. Nice. And so I'd watch them for like, you know, a long time every start of every season. Or series, excuse me. Um and then Sanchez is like I like how do you, you know, I ask him questions like how do you, how do you how do you remain so consistent? It's like I do the same preparation every day. Like you make sure your routine is your way of life. Um that's where I started even eating PB&Js, you know, every single day. It wasn't a superstition it's because i don't want to launch into another story due to time but i got caught on the bat in the bathroom on the toilet phone rings you're in the game two outs i'm like freaking out (laughs) you know worst 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 nightmare (laughs) for a reliever like for now on i ain't eating that stuff i'm eating the same thing every day pb and j granola and yogurt um because i knew my stomach felt good after that so that was part of my routine what i ate before the game um uh then all of a sudden i started just picking up on little things that i knew got me ready and just made that part of my routine i carried that on from basically 2011 end of 2011 through my whole career the same exact routine and um, i always encourage the younger guys to do the same thing because i just wanted um them to be able to have the opportunity to stay in the big leagues a long time and i feel like the best way to do that is to get the best way to give yourself that chance is to have this consistent routine every day because as you know you feel like garbage a lot of the times as a reliever, you know, you're just grinding, but you got to deal with it. And so, so maybe it's a placebo effect or something, but when you go through your routine at the end of the day, you feel better. Um, even though your stuff may not be the best. And if you happen to give it up, like, look, I did everything I possibly could that day. I can hang my hat on that. Um, and you know, now it's back just to the next outing, forget it. Let's go. Um, so and I don't know, more I guess what made us consistent is more times than not we did throw well. We're not dwelling on the negatives, but um a, a very big portion of that was due to our our mindset in terms of our preparation.
0: Yeah, my favorite thing to do when let's say younger kids when I watch them, I mean everyone is in a great mood and everyone do all their routines is when they're throwing well and dominating. I wanted to see, I could not wait if a kid gave it, I mean, I not I wasn't rooting for anyone to give it right. up. But if they gave it up, I could. I wanted to be the first one in the clubhouse the next day I wanted to. I could not wait to see how this kid was going to act. Was he still going to show up when he was doing his thing? Same time. Was he still going to do it? And if he didn't do it, I knew he wasn't going to be cut out to stay here. Or you're going to have to pull him aside, because you're not going to last, mm-hmm. dude. Like, if you, if you can show up and talk crap to everyone, that's why everyone's like. When I was salt, salt was just my way of just being myself, being in my routine at the field. Like, it just got me into a pitching mode, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just could not wait to see if this kid was going to do whoever it was, if he was going to act the same the way he when he was shoving when he gave it up. And mm. I think that tells a lot about people. I mean, they got to learn. I mean, you learn if you could turn the page. But sometimes you just got to tell them, man, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Yep. Like. No, it's totally. You just got you, get,
1: you see what they're made of, right there. Absolutely, and that that's something that you know stuck with me is like how how the game's easy when you're rolling, but when you have to deal with failure. I think we should touch on that next time. How did how we're going to deal with failure, um, how, or how to yeah. deal with it? Because it is essential um to be able to have a career and to be to remain consistent. Um And so, I guess in in summary, it's just like you know, all right, preparation. What is your preparation? What is your routine? Um, for me, visualization, like especially when I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago uh, with Joe, put you in those slots. I know what slots I'm going to pitch in. I'm visualizing each pitch I want to throw to each guy. I know their weakness and I, I want to expose it. And so I'm picturing that in my head. The crowd's going nuts, feeling the game. All of a sudden the adrenaline starts yeah. flowing. I'm ready to go. And then you just compete. Just let it happen. You know, and whatever happens, happens. So.
0: And a good thing about like, let's say Joe, for the pockets, you got to go watch video on how to already get these guys out and how you already got them out. Like you're mentally prepared. I think that's why managers like a good bullpen manager is so important for a bullpen guy's success, reliever success. Cause, cause you be like, Oh, I hate when they don't want to let you know if you, if you, if the phone rings and you don't know who it's going to be, like you're not going to be a good bullpen, and you're definitely not going to be a successful reliever throughout the yep. year. Like nothing is worse to where everyone has a heart attack when the yeah, phone yeah, rings. Yeah, exactly. Like when the phone rings, it should be it's one or two guys really. That should be it, especially in the winning situation. Losing, everyone kind of knows when they're going to throw one. It's losing. Everyone knows when it's, we're winning. It's close. Who it should mm-hmm. be like if if it's going to be the f- seventh guy in the bullpen, all of a sudden he's pitching in the eighth inning in a one-run game, like. Everyone's like, "What the heck?" Is yep, going okay. got give
1: him a heads up. I agree. I hated being caught, caught off guard with those. We're like, you think you're kind of one of the guys, you know, and all of a sudden you're getting you're pitching in a blowout. And I'm not complaining about pitching, but it's like I'm like, uh-oh, like mentally, I didn't visualize, I didn't get ready like I normally do. I kind I slacked and I got exposed by it. And sure enough, I go out there and <laughs> get humbled fast.
0: So that, helped, that happened to me in Game One, sixty-three. I mean, I was terrible when I got traded over there, so I wasn't even gonna. Think I was going to pitch in the most important game of the year, uh-huh. and then no one wanted to tell me that CJ decided he didn't want to be available that day or something. I don't know what happened, but they said he wasn't a he wasn't available, and no one told me. And you had already yeah, you pitched.
1: cashed it on my runs.
0: And all of a sudden, the phone rings. I'm like, I haven't moved. I haven't done oh, nothing. No, I know the truth. I've did zero, and I'm just laying there. All of a sudden, they're like, Kinsler, get I'm like, What? Like, I'm the worst pitcher in the bullpen right now. Why am I coming in? <laughs> I was totally cut off guard and unprepared. <laughs> I, I gave up. Was it your runs? Yeah, I, gave but up? I already
1: given up the. Uh, dude, that that <laughs> at bat, it was, I was facing Lorenzo Cain, and he was, he's a, he was a he had a great season. He's one of my favorite players to play against. He yeah, played he hard, and um, he was awesome. and I I handled him well, you know, all season, and um, I just I was so amped. It was day three of me pitching in a row, and I was just uh, feeling it, but nothing was going to stop me from going in that game. And he ended up getting that RBI single to put the Brewers ahead. And uh, it was, like, devastating. Oh, I used that as some motivation the whole offseason. Like, when I was lifting everything, that scene, I just could not get it out of my head. I hated it. But, hey, it, you know, it happens, right? <laughs> someone's someone's either the bug and yeah. someone's the wind. That was a great at bat day.
0: he had right there. That was a. <clears throat> I love that matchup right there because sinkers dominate him
1: yep but he cheated he knew it was and coming have I, a
0: good I knew what I wanted to throw I was going to throw
1: him my best pitch he knew it was coming and he got to it so I mean I, at the end of the day he's got to tip your cap to him great player you yeah.
0: know yeah they brought me in the face Braun and I, was, I, I don't know my sinker was going everywhere because I was, I was mentally a mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that was just a terrible that was a terrible time in my life that's when we'll talk about dealing with failures because yep. that was some dark absolutely. time absolutely
1: I'd love to talk about that well bro <laughs>
0: that's episode 3 thank you for listening and let send us some questions if you guys have any